Hello and welcome to Sex Ed for Sex Med, a prime resource for evidence-based education about sexual medicine for students, practitioners, and the public. Today we're talking to Teresa Dibel, a nurse practitioner in Columbus. She's a family nurse practitioner who specializes in primary care for adult women. And she's in the department of OBGYN at the Ohio State University Medical Center. And uh, today we're talking about body image and sexual health. And hello, Teresa, thank you for coming. Hello, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Teresa works a lot with um, weight management and um, we're very delighted to have her expertise here today uh, because you know, body image and sexual health is, is a big subject. And today we're gonna to be more focusing on the midlife uh, because just numbers wise, we see a lot more body image problems in the, in the midlife. Um, and, and these can definitely cause female sexual dysfunction. So I wanted to start off with, with asking Teresa, why does body image issues cause female sexual dysfunction? That's a, it's a big question. And um, I think there, it's very multifaceted, lots of things that sort of uh, lead into it. But one thing that comes to mind is when I'm first having a conversation with um, women primarily about this topic, uh, one of my questions is, what are your goals? And a, a lot of people, um, a lot of patients think I mean a number on the scale and or maybe a BMI, and I don't um, at all. What I really want to know is, how do you want to feel? What do you want to be able to do? And very frequently, the answer to that question is, I want to feel more confident. Uh, because really that body image and, you know, a lot of the times these women have either been, you know, this, their whole life, they've struggled with weight loss and they've dealt with that through, you know, teenage and um, early adult years, or it's a new problem for them. And in either case, it significantly affects their confidence and the messages that they're getting from society. And then you can take that a step further um, and know that um, sexual dysfunction also in this in this context can also have a lot with to do with confidence. So if we can improve confidence in, in other aspects um, of their physical appearance, appearance, then it would make sense then that it would also affect them as far as sexual function. Let's say somebody comes in and you're seeing them for a gynecologic visit and you're asking them questions and seeing uh, what issues they have. And they bring up the issue of, of body image. What is your counseling? Um, how do you approach that? What do you say to them? It's a sensitive topic. And so I try to approach very... Um, gently and with a lot of support and TLC. And to be honest, when that, when it comes up in that way, where I'm hearing specifically something about body image, um, I will not start with a conversation of weight loss, because as we know, um, you can have body image issues without being overweight, and you can be overweight without, overweight without having body image issues. So I 
uh, I try to support that in, in terms of kind of building building a patient up and, you know, talking about that this is not the only aspect of their identity. And, you know, if there's been other things that have come up that, that we can um, address and, um, you know, maybe in the conversation, whether we're talking about um, other things in their life, maybe their kids or their job or something like that. And like, let's talk about these other things to help kind of zoom out so that you're having a more confidence in yourself um, as an individual. But then also, okay, I, I know that you're, you're also bringing this up with me because, you know, we, we want to talk about weight loss specifically. And then we'll also get into that. And um, then I'll sort of talk, launch a little bit into my counseling regarding specifically weight loss, you know, what, um, what I can offer, uh, whether it's medication counseling and things like that. What are some of the phrases you used? You, you kind of painted this general picture of TLC, but mm-hmm. what, what are phrases our, our listeners should be aware of and maybe put in the back of their minds to use? You know, say somebody comes in and says, you know, I, I'm really... I just think I look terrible. I went through menopause and I've I've gained all this weight. What is this all about? I just feel horrible about myself. I suppose in a, in a case like that, I, I might ask more questions. Um, if, you know, if tell me a little bit more about, you know, how you're feeling, what, what parts do you feel horrible about? Is it really about the way that you're feeling physically? Are you feeling horrible about yourself? And just in terms of just specifically how you look um, and in the context, if, you know, if we're talking about sexual function, is it um, especially midlife menopause, you know, what other things are we dealing with here? Are we talking about libido? Are we talking about dryness? Um, you know, things like that. So um, I know that you asked me for phrases and really I answered you with more questions. <laughs> well, no, but that's but, good. You're, you're, you're focusing and that's what we want to know. You're focusing in mm-hmm. on exactly what bothers them and mm-hmm. and and that's uh, you know that's good now if, if they and i've heard this and that's what i'm going to ask but you know if i could just lose that 15 pounds i'd feel sexy again mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah i especially with that i i often say um i i really do try to take the focus away from the scale um and a certain number um, and that includes both the weight uh, in pounds and also BMI um, for a few reasons. One, because it doesn't define us. And that I guess that is a phrase that I would use. You know, this doesn't define you. This nobody knows the number on the scale except for you and maybe me. You know, if I if I happen to look at it before I walked in, uh, nobody knows your BMI. Nobody knows the number on the tag of your pants. Um that's who cares. What's more important is that you are comfortable in your skin um, and that you are doing the things that you want to be doing. And if that thing that, you know, if I were to ask about the goal and the goal that this person might say is I want to feel sexy again, then let's focus more on that, not a number. Um, And also, you know, as we know, through our life, things change, our body composition changes. And, you know, the same person, you know, that was 150 pounds at the age of 25 and 150 pounds at the age of 50 might not look the same, even though the number is the same. I also focus a lot on like lifting strength, um, 
building muscle, and that's also going to change what a certain number on the scale actually looks like, um, and probably going to make higher numbers, quote unquote, look better. Um, so those are, I suppose, some of the things that I would be focusing on uh, in that context. Now, if they told you if I could only lose that weight, mm -hmm. I would I would be happy. What do you mm -hmm. say to that? What do you say to that? Um, so some of the things that I, you know, have already said like this, you can lose weight and still be unhappy. You can, you cannot need any lose, have any weight to lose and still be unhappy and you cannot lose weight and be happy. So, and you know, in that case, I would really explore more about what's making you unhappy. I might do some screens for depression and anxiety. Um, and, and, you know, make sure that they're feeling, you know, safe and supported at home and in relationships and that sort of thing. So really, one thing that I have come across and, and really is universal is that patients want to be heard. They want to feel like you know them. And I, you know, we all know this, that they, they want to feel like you're seeing them as an individual um, rather than another person to put in this bucket with this diagnosis or this need. Um, and so if you're not, if, if I'm not sure of what phrase to use or that sort of thing, I'm always asking questions. I'll ask another question. And I think that helps me get a little bit more information to know which direction to go um, and what to focus on. But it also helps patients to feel as though I'm really paying attention to this particular story and I don't have anything else that I'm bringing any other preconceptions that I'm bringing to the table. Let's go on and, and uh, you know, you've established some things and you wanna help them with uh, weight loss. Uh, that mm -hmm. is definitely one of their goals. And what, what, how do you present that? What are the guidelines for weight loss uh, that you use the stepwise guidelines? Sure. So once, you know, we've established um, that's a goal and that's also a need. And, and an important thing here would be, and this is probably the one time that I really do have to pay attention and, and give knowledge to the, or acknowledge the BMI. Um, because if we're going to be talking about a desire to start medications, we have to work within um, what they're approved for, which is a BMI of 30 or higher or a BMI of 27 with complications. And those complications are pretty broad. Um, you know, anywhere from hypertension and diabetes and cholesterol to knee pain um, and even um, even mood changes can be listed. Uh, so, but if we're talking about somebody who has a BMI of 25 and these concerns, then that, that conversation of the stepwise approach is gonna look a little bit different because I'm not really gonna be able to offer medications. Um, so, but assuming that I am gonna be able to, what I will usually say is, I, you know, I can help you with this and we're not going to get it all done today. A lot of times I actually bring patients back to have a kind of an initial session, but I'll explain to them what, what I want to do is get some more information from you about um, what you're doing, what your life looks like right now, what you're kind of eating on a regular basis, what your activity looks like, what you've tried in the past that has worked for you, what hasn't worked for you. Um, you know, there's some screening questions, you know, I want to screen for things like OSA eating disorders. Um, and then, you know, once we kind of get a good idea of what that looks like for you, 
then we're going to start seeing each other pretty regularly. And it, the follow-up kind of depends on the scenario, but anywhere from four every four weeks to every six, especially in the beginning, um, we might spread that out later. And in those sessions, we're going to talk a lot about those things and set goals, you know, the smart goals. Um, I try to keep it as close to that as possible. So now, now um, explain uh, you, that you slip that in and I want to make sure that our audience hears what is a smart goal. Yeah. Um, all right. Let me remember specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, Correct. and timely. Yep. Um, so yeah. we want to make sure it's not just, I want to eat better. Uh, what, you know, what do we do with that? Um, it's more so I want to um, start eating two servings of vegetables at every meal um, by two weeks time. And, you know, so that is specific. It's measurable. We can measure its number. It's attainable. It's realistic. We're not saying that we want to just only, you know, eat, only eat vegetables from here on out. Um, and we put a timeline on it. So as, as many of those factors as you can get when you're setting a goal, the better. So, um, but I tell them, you know, we're going to set goals and I, and I have five categories that I like to set goals in, um, diet, exercise or activity, uh, sleep, um, mental health slash me time and water intake. And that, going back to the mental health slash me time, that's also something that I, you know, going back to your question about phrases, I slipped that in because um, I think it's unexpected for a lot of people. It really doesn't have anything to do with weight loss. And I always say, I want to set this me time goal because you are more than this process. This process should not take over your life and your uh, concept of yourself. We also need to reserve some time where you can just take care of you in a way where you're not feeling pressured to do so because you have to, you know, lose a certain amount of weight. So that goal, often people will, you know, maybe they want to start reading for pleasure again. That's a common one or spend some time outside or uh, meditate, things like that, that really kind of have nothing to do with all these other things that we're talking about. Um, and I think that kind of helps um, keep us in mind of this person as a, you know, a whole person with multiple needs, not just this specific um, need to lose weight. So um, we'll talk about going through those goals and then I will start talking about medications. And usually I will kind of go through the options that exist. Um, sometimes in that conversation, I'll sort of weed out ones that don't make sense for that person and kind of leave us with what's left. And um, whether or not we start medications, um, they are always in addition to the lifestyle changes. So those lifestyle changes are always the core. They're always there. Like I said, whether or not we have somebody with a BMI of 25 or 45, and then whether or not we add on the meds. So, do, you know, there's been a, a number of meds on the market, like Qsimia, Contrave, uh, mm -hmm. Phentermine. Um, mm -hmm. And now there's some, some more recently, there's some more, uh, there's some newer ones that, uh, are touted to, to help people lose a lot more weight. Do you use some of the old medications still? Um, of course. Totally, how, how, do yeah. you, uh, how do you approach the, the use of medicine? Is there just a one go-to, I want everybody on this med, or is it, is I'm going to go from this med to this med to this med? How do you do it? Um, neither. There's not one in particular that I would use for everybody, but there's also not a specific stepwise approach 
necessarily either. It kind of depends on what we have going on. So um, (laughs) is it okay if I kind of just go over all of them? Oh, yes, please do. Okay. So to start, there are a few off-label meds that are frequently used um, to at least help with weight or maybe not have people gain weight. Uh, Metformin is one of them, you know, especially when you have a patient that maybe has some insulin resistance. And I I forgot to add that in my sort of spiel in the beginning, but I also check a handful of labs, um, including insulin and insulin score. Um, I'm sorry, an insulin and fasting glucose. And I'll use that to get a HOMA score to tell me whether or not somebody has insulin resistance. Uh, And if they do, then um, metformin might be something that you would think about, or especially if somebody has, you know, all out type two diabetes. Um, Metformin can cause modest weight loss, I would say. It's it's not the most potent medication out there, but it it does help. Uh, So there's metformin. The next one would be Wellbutrin. Uh, we know that as an antidepressant. Um, I always say at best, it causes weight loss. At worst, it's weight neutral. Uh, so to, to be honest, when I'm looking specifically for weight loss, I'm probably not picking Wellbutrin. But if I'm looking at somebody who needs an antidepressant for their mood and has concerns for weight, not wanting to gain weight, then that might kind of push me towards Wellbutrin as a, a monotherapy. And then the other one is topiramate. <clears throat> or Topamax. And that we know is uh, an anti-seizure medication, but is used for lots of other things like headache prevention, um, helps with sleep, things like that. And it also seems to, um, it causes weight loss. It seems to really be effective as for cravings. Um, It's it's like the evening kind of bingy, cravey type things. If somebody's really experiencing that, I might think about Topiramate. Topiramate Um, alone or in combination? Yes. Alone, alone. Um, also in combination, not not to not saying combination, but I would consider it alone at first. Okay. Yeah. So so then we move on to the on-label medications, and the uh, oldest of which is fentermine has been around for quite some time now, uh, and it works well. It's um, it is an appetite suppressant. It does help um, decrease hunger hormones, increase satiety hormones. Um, and people do tend to lose weight on it. Um, it does seem to be something though that you can build a little bit of a tolerance to with time. And that can be difficult as far as weight regain, which is an entirely other very important aspect of all of this is what happens if we do lose weight and we reach a goal and weight regain, which I could come back to. But um, fentermine, what's nice about fentermine is that while it's almost never covered by insurance, it is cheap out of pocket. Um, we're talking like 10 to $30 maybe a month. Um, but it is also a controlled substance. So there are some more regulations around it. Um, particularly, we need to have check-ins every four weeks. Like we can't go longer than that. I can only prescribe 30 days at a time. Um, and, uh, you know, I have to run an ORS report and that sort of thing if I'm going to be prescribing fentramine. Um As far as side effects, some people feel a little bit of like uh, irritability or agitation, especially when they first start it because it has stimulant-like properties. Uh, Although I would never substitute it for a stimulant like for ADHD. It's it's really not quite that. You know, some people ask me that like, will this help my ADHD? And it's it's not quite like that. Um, But that's one of the uh, side effects. Most common side effect I see is dry mouth, Um, but it can also affect sleep. 
Um, it can increase blood pressure or actually more frequently increase heart rate, resting heart rate. <clears throat> uh, those I would say are the most common side effects to think about. Um, after phentermine, we have Qsimia. So Qsimia is a combination medication of phentermine plus topiramate. And um, funny enough, it is not a controlled substance uh, or it's not controlled in the same way that phentermine is. Uh, it used to be that we could only prescribe phentermine for three months at a time. That actually changed this year. <clears throat> but Qsimia has always been, you can be on it long-term. How long Sorry. can you use phentermine now? Uh, so that has changed recently. Um, it used to be in the state of Ohio that you could only do three months and then you would have to take a six month break before restarting it. And now it is that you can do three months. And if at the end of that three months, you've lost at least 5% of your weight, then you can continue. Um, so they have sort of loosened up on the restrictions in that way. Um, so for Qsimia, that one, there is no restriction on the length of time that you can use it. And it works well. It's probably the best oral medication that we have uh, for how, how much weight you're likely to lose on it. The trouble with Qsimia is that it is almost, I don't know if I've seen it covered by insurance, maybe a, maybe a little bit, but typically not. Uh, and then we're looking at um, the manufacturer pretty much always has a coupon out um, that brings the cost down to about $100 a month. So, you know, more doable than some of the other medications without insurance coverage, but certainly an investment. Um, after that, we have Contrave. So Contrave is also a combination medication of Wellbutrin and Naltrexone. Uh, Wellbutrin, that antidepressant. Naltrexone is what we use for um, like people like that have alcohol use disorder. It helps decrease cravings for alcohol, and it very similarly helps decrease cravings for food, um, especially like sweets and that sort of thing. Um, and that medication also works pretty well. Um, with that one, we really have to watch for blood pressure. Um, that's probably the biggest limiting factor is if somebody's going to have an elevated blood pressure with it. Um, also, same as Qsimia in terms of insurance coverage, uh, pretty much never covered manufacturer coupon brings it down to $100 a month. So also something to a little bit of the limiting factor there. After that, we get into the injections, which, you know, everybody's heard of. <laughs> They're, they are definitely more popular and in the media now. <clears throat> uh, every night. Yep. Yep. I don't know if it's because, you know, the, the computer and the algorithms and all this business know me, or if it's just because how often it is, but I get emails and it's on my Google ads. It's everywhere all the time. Um, so the first one is semaglutide and that's the one that we, um, I think hear the most about, uh, and starting with Ozempic, Ozempic has been around since I think 2017, uh, approved by the FDA for type two diabetes. And, um, but it causes weight loss. And so a few years ago, um, some, some really big, robust, well-designed trials were done at bringing that dose of semaglutide up to 2.4 milligrams, which Ozempic uh, goes up to one. It does go up to two now, but at that time it went up to one milligram, so a higher dose. And, um, you know, great results as far as weight loss, also treating diabetes, cardiovascular outcomes. Um, and so then it got, uh, we got semaglutide under the brand name Wegovi, and that was FDA approved for 
weight management. So they are the same active ingredient, but the FDA approval is different. Um, and that matters for a few reasons. One, insurance coverage, uh, because without insurance, there's no coupon for $100 like there are with the other ones. It's usually like $1,000 a month if you're not going to have insurance at least. Um, so, you know, a lot of insurance companies uh, are not, we're not covering um, anything for weight loss. And so recently this year, 2023, we go, we've seen more coverage for, but prior to that, we weren't. Uh, so that led us to kind of be looking at Ozempic, but um, before I, I, before I get into all of that, just to talk about the, the, you know, the use of them, um, whether, whichever one you're using, you, you ramp up the dose uh, slowly. You start with your initial dose for four weeks, the next dose for four weeks and so on until you reach your maximum tolerated dose. Um, the primary side effects are nausea, they're all GI. So uh, nausea, vomiting, constipation, diarrhea, and abdominal pain. Of those, really what I see the most office, often are nausea and sometimes abdominal pain. Um, sometimes we'll start Zofran to help kind of get through that period. Although for the most part, people don't need that and they can, they can, it's tolerable. They can get through it. Um, so those injections are once weekly, the patient, uh, self-administers them and they are, they look a lot like Lispro pens or human, like those, you know, pens that we're more familiar with where it's a pen, the needle is housed in a cylinder. It's not seen, which matters for a lot of people. They don't want to, you know doing like on the movies where you're taking off the, the syringe and that sort of thing. They don't want to see the needle. Um, and then we also have Sixenda, which is liraglutide. Um, and Sixenda is kind of getting left in the dust anymore because sumaglutide just, it has, it beats it as, as far as efficacy and side effects. And Sixenda is also a daily injection rather than weekly. So we, I don't use it very often, but it does, it is still out there. Um, and then last, uh, not yet approved for weight loss, but also very much in the media, lots of people are hearing about it and know about it is Manjaro, uh, and that's terzepatide. And there are, um, there are some trials already that are showing it, it's, it's superior even to semaglutide. It causes even more weight loss. It's, you know, all of, all, on all of the, um, ratings, it's better, um, and that's very exciting, but so far only approved for treatment of type two diabetes and insurance companies are very stringent about that. And uh, however, I hear rumor that that may be available maybe by the end of the year, uh, whether it's approved by the FDA, whether it's gonna be under the same brand name or not, I don't really know, but that seems to be coming. You, do you think these meds were, I mean, there's been such a barrier. We're all concerned about uh, you know weight loss and there's, really so much, uh, you know, surgical treatment of this, which is by far and away a lot more expensive. Mm -hmm. and, and there's such a barrier to getting at these medications that people can't get at, but they wind up with surgery. Do you, do you think that that will change, that that should change? Yeah, I, I do think that it will. I mean, like I said, we go, these really only been available to most people and it's still not available. I would say to most people, uh, there are still plenty of insurance hoops and that sort of thing, but it's certainly available to far more people this year than there were in previous years. And, uh, you know, with the Manjaro coming and there's another GLP one um, that's just recently come out that might, it's actually um, 
it's a, it's a, they call it like triple therapy because um, it's a GLP-1, a GIP, and I'm blanking on the third ingredient, but uh, there's another one coming. And so we have so many more meds than even five, three or five years ago than we did. And these medications are potent. They cause the, the weight, amount of weight loss that they are causing, the percentage in reduction is competitive with surgery. And yes, there are side effects and it's not, you know, not everybody responds, but most people do. And the risk of surgery compared to the risk of the side effects, I would say, you know, would you lean toward the, the medications? Gotcha. Yeah. Well, that's all good news because, Mm -hmm. you know, so many of us have seen all these meds and they're out of reach, but I know, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the Academy of Obesity Medicine Everybody pounds their fists and says, you know, lifestyle, then, then medication before surgery. And I just, uh, I wanted to hear what you knew about that. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well, um, that, that was a very good explanation of, of all the, the anti-obesity meds uh, available out there. Is there any, um, any final things you would say to, you know, uh, people about that, that are trying to lose weight to to help them feel better about themselves. One thing that I, uh, frequently talk about that is very much deserving. And as a part of this conversation is going all the way back to basics and where, um, where all of this comes from. And there's such a, there's such a message and a, and a feeling that, this is my fault. Um, this, or this is your fault. If we're talking about somebody else, you're not trying hard enough. You're not, um, you didn't work for long enough. You're making bad decisions. This is a matter of, um, if you would just kind of thing, you hear yeah, if, if she you would, would just, work, you know, if she would just work out, yeah. try harder, you know, yeah. like it's some sort of personal or even moral failing. And it is just not that. Um, and that is something that in, in healthcare, I think we're, we're, finally coming around to, but certainly society at large is still lagging and that really overweight and obesity is, is a chronic multifaceted condition. It is not a matter of personal will. You know, I, I like to say, uh, it's especially, I love it when I have a tall patient in front of me because I say, cause I'm, I'm short, I'm five, three. I say, you don't look at me and think if I had only tried harder, I could be as tall as you, you know, it's, it's, it's similar, you know, there's a little bit of a difference there for sure, but, but it is not a matter just of personal choice. Um, this is, it, it goes deeper than that. And that is important for a few reasons. One, um, when we look at just, if you would just, you know, if you would just eat, eat, eat less and move more is, you know, such a common thing that we hear that is um, very flawed. And yes, you can eat less and move more and you can lose weight. And uh, something that I kind of put to put in perspective, I will say like, let's say for the sake of keeping things simple, that you need 2000 calories a day to live, to just maintain your weight. And that's what you eat, um, but you decide you wanna lose weight. And so you decrease, you, you eat less, you decrease your calories. And what to let a lot of people do, they go down way low, you know, maybe 1200 or a thousand or something like that you lose weight, you will lose weight. Um, and you'll probably do it pretty quickly. But what happens is your body adjusts, 
you know, nobody that stayed on a 1200 calorie diet for 10 years disappeared. You know, something happens. And what that thing is, is your metabolism shifts and your body says, well, if you're only going to feed me 1200 calories, I'm going to live on 1200 calories. That's, that's now my new maintenance number. Um, and that's what happens when you hear about plateaus and, or, or, you know, maybe you can't lose anymore or something like that. And then what do you do? You eat more, you know, you either give up, this isn't working or whatever, but and maybe you even only go up to 15 or 1800 calories, but that's now your surplus. And so even though you're eating less than you used to, you're gaining weight back. And that's why, you know, we hear so frequently, I lost all this weight, but I gained it back and then some, uh, because your metabolism has changed. Another thing that happens when you lose a lot of weight, and this is no matter how you lose it, whether it's meds or whatever you do, um, your hormones change, your hunger hormones increase, and your satiety hormones decrease, because our bodies are very good at keeping us alive. And that is one of the ways that they do it. So not only are you fighting with this shift in your metabolism, but you're also fighting with these changes in your hormones that lead you to be hungrier and want to eat more and feel less satisfied when you do. And then on top of that, add that when you lose weight, you're losing muscle and fat at the same time. And when you gain it back, you're gaining back mostly fat. And so you can get in this really terrible cycle. Uh, and I think that's really important to understand um, because, you know, people, a lot of people, especially in midlife will say, I can't do it the way that I used to. You know, I, I, when I was in my twenties, I could just do this and it happened so easily for me. And that's just not how it, not how it's working anymore. And a lot of times it's because of that. And really what we need to do is actually eat more um, than, than people think that they need to. So um, I think that's sort of an important uh, concept for people to understand. They're going to ask you then, mm -hmm. can, can I get reach a, a, a weight or goal weight and maintain it? You're right. Can, can right. you do that? Right. Yes. So yes, you can. Um, one of the things to keep in mind, though, is that however you reach your goal weight, and actually this leads perfectly into what I was going to say next, however you reach your goal weight, that process that you did needs to be sustainable. You can't reach your goal weight and then go back to whatever you were doing before and expect to stay there. So which is, you know, another reason that 1200 calorie diets are not sustainable, because we're real people with real lives. And, you know, 1200 isn't much. Um, and in terms of meds, it's also, you know, important in that way that these medications typically, especially um, with the GLP ones, like we have good trial data that says that they likely need to be continued um, for long term. So um, they actually in one of the step trials showed that um, people, and, and I think this is really eye opening they had all these people that took the semaglutide and they lost weight, you know, they, all of them. And then they took half of them and kept them on semaglutide and half and kept them on and put them on placebo. They didn't change anything else. So all these people were still having all the lifestyle changes. They were doing strict lifestyle changes the whole time, but then they changed just whether or not you were taking the medication and the people that were still doing all of the things with their diet and exercise, but now not on medication anymore, gained weight back. And the people that stayed on medication continue to lose. So that tells us that it's more than a matter of personal choices. 
um, that there's also something else that we need to be looking at. And, and another way that I kind of explain that is we need to not think of obesity as um, something that we can just treat once and it's gone. And we need to, you know, I think there's the kind of a, like to compare it to something else. If we have an infection that we're using an antibiotic to treat, and we have hypertension that we're using an antihypertensive to treat, it's reasonable to expect the antibiotic to treat the thing, stop the drug, and you're done, right? That's reasonable. And that's what we think should be happening with these drugs for weight loss, but it's not like that. It's like the other one. If you treat hypertension and the blood pressure comes down, you wouldn't stop the medication and say, well, we fixed it. We're done now. You would stay on it because we say this is working to treat this condition that you have. Um, and so that's another important thing to understand as far as, you know, when you start a medication, especially, um, or if you start a lifestyle change, whatever it is that you start, that it needs to be long-term. So to your question of, can I lose weight and maintain it? Yes, but you need to continue doing those things. And so what you're doing needs to be sustainable. Wow. Well, thanks. I, this is a tremendous lesson for us. And uh, thank you so much for your expertise. It's obvious. And you're passion for it. So thank you again, Therese. We really appreciate your help. Thank you so much. It was great to be here. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sex Ed for Sex Med. Please find the articles used in today's discussion in the show notes for further study. Also, you will find the contact information for our expert today.